Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome back, bookends, to our first episode in our brand new season, We Have Missed You. We start off with a bang with our September book club pick, the latest novel by Anne M. Wright, The Wren, The Wren. A generational saga that traces the inheritance, not just of trauma, but also of wonder. It is a testament to the glorious resilience of women. Above all, it is an exploration of the love between mother and daughter, sometimes fierce, often painful, but always transcendent. Anne Enright is a writer that requires little introduction, but I will do my best. She was awarded just last year the Irish Book Awards Lifetime Achievement Award. Back in 2015, she was appointed as the first laureate for Irish fiction and in 2018 received the Irish Pen Award for Outstanding Contribution to Irish Literature. Anne has written two collections of stories published together as Yesterday's Weather, as well as seven novels and a non-fiction book called Making Babies. Her novel The Gathering won the 2007 Man Booker Prize. The Forgotten Waltz was awarded the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction and The Green Road was the Bordgosh yeah. Energy Novel of the Year and won the Kerry Group Irish Fiction Award. We are delighted to have Anne joining us today to discuss her latest novel, The Wren, The Wren, and welcome to A Pair of Bookends. It's lovely to meet you both. <laughs> it's lovely to have you on and I knew as we've been out of practice that I was bound to butcher something. So I am going <laughs> to love editing myself after this today so it's the best thing it's the best thing listen we've had a break we'll forgive ourselves we'll forgive ourselves always um, <laughs> so we would always love to start with our favorite question or my favorite question let's be honest which is what are you currently reading yeah, that the way I am now, I'm reading a lot of future books, books that haven't been out yet. Uh, so that's uh, not necessarily useful to you. I've just finished Colin Barrett's wonderful book, The Wild Houses. He's a, an Irish short story writer from Mayo and he's now, this is his first novel, it's very exciting. And I'm, I'm actually, really, what I'm actually doing is reading pieces from my students in uh, UCD, University College Dublin. I mean, they're one of, some of them are 50,000 words long, so they're nearly a book already. So we've been wow. working on them uh, all year and and definitely some future books there for sure. But actually what I'm doing other than that is I'm, I'm working my way through Jean Reese. Do you know Jean Reese? Yes. yes. Who, you know, I haven't read in decades properly. I mean, I, I read The Wide Sargass to see a couple of times, but I haven't gone back to that kind of sort of sadder, earlier, sort of melancholy work. So that's what I'm doing now, just as a refresher. Oh, amazing. So a bit of light work, you know. Nothing. Yeah, it's just a couple of, you know, 50,000 word thesis. It's just nothing, you know. Yeah, well, that's, you know, my job. So <laughs> I mean, that would be a wrong a wrong thing to avoid. Yeah. And uh, But I do actually quite enjoy it. And so, but yeah, and the Jean Reese says it was, uh, the problem with being a working writer is that it's very hard to sneak off and, and just read something that's for nothing whatsoever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, We get quite lost in our stack of um, books for the podcast. And um, have the stack. Uh, yeah. Where is your stack? My stack is in, I have a special table now. For my oh. stack, the hall. 
Yeah, I've got the house. I've just got a new book trolley. Hannah, I've not told you this because you'll be excited. Uh, I've just got a new book trolley just just for the podcast because I was like, I can't keep up with what books are what. So they all get just shoved on there. Yeah, <laughs> and I know yeah, that yeah. that's what I have to read and everything else, like they are what I want to read. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's really, you know, sometimes you do want to read the ones that you have to read. And yeah, so it's not, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's just a bit more, less straightforward than you might think. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And Lydia has the addition of being a bookseller as well. So she has to read stuff for, for Waterstones as well. Um, so your book pile just continues. Just yeah, it's astronomical. I mean, but I still enjoy it. I still really love doing it. And are you a finisher? So, Do you finish? Yeah, I've never not finished a book. So, right. so opening those covers is like okay. Here it's we like go. here we go. <laughs> Dedication. That is that is adventurous. Yeah. Are you not a yeah. finisher? I used to be a total finisher. I mean, I, I absolutely was a finisher all through my teens and 20s, uh, maybe my 30s. I, you know, I just read all the way through and I was really t- hooked in, tenacious, stuck to the book. Then I had kids. <laughs> the end. <laughs> not the end, the in- the interrupting years, you know what I mean? <laughs> interrupting years, but not the end. Um, yeah, uh, for sure. So now what I have is I have a, a chair, a garden chair. Now, the weather's been awful, but a good chair in the garden is the best thing. It gets you away from your screens. You can't see them in the sunlight. So yeah. even like I take a coat on a book out there. It's fantastic. I love it that. Swings, it swings a little. Swings? I need Just to a swing. little. I mean, it's not a full swing. You can't get a full swing. Out but it's like a gentle rock. A gentle oh, rock, yeah. Love that. There. I need one of those. Oh, now I'm like, maybe I should not get the trolley and maybe I should just get the trolley. (laughs) Love the wheels, so I can't. (laughs) Mobile books. (laughs) Now, I would love to get into the Run the Ren, but first I have to tell you that we've obviously been very excited that we've uh, got you on the podcast, but I've been reading this while I work at a new venue in Manchester uh, called Factory International, and it's um, like an arts and culture venue. And I've been carrying your book around with me for whenever I've got a spare moment when I should really be doing work, I've been sat reading. And I have been stopped this weekend alone by three different people looking at my book, like different visitors to the centre being like, oh, you're reading Anne Enright. I love Anne Enright. Um, and then I've been like, yeah, it's a new book. And um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had these two Irish ladies stop me the other day and they were like, oh gosh, you're reading Anne Enright. Like, what do you think of the book? And I was like, yeah, I love it. And blah, blah, blah. We got into this conversation and um, then they were like, oh, so like, why have you got, because they could see the date on the side of it. They were like, why is yours like that? And I said, oh, I'm reading like an early copy. I said, We're, I'm interviewing her next week. And uh, they were just like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she said it so loud. She told me to fuck off so loudly. No. I was like, <laughs> don't let my boss hear. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. So <laughs> we're my talking. kind of girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So real visceral reaction. Uh, 
Um, obviously a, a very celebrated writer, but especially so by the Irish because she was so... Yeah, they weren't saying to me. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, you know, that's interesting to hear. Yeah, they're fun. Just, they're, just sh- they're just shouting at me whenever they shouted. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. Yeah. No, Irish people are very um, low, not low key, but, you know, more or less informal. They don't get up in a heap really you know I love it yeah. I love it <laughs> so, so they let start... on you know they wouldn't let on <laughs> <laughs> well they wouldn't let on to you <laughs> so maybe maybe sometimes yeah maybe sometimes. <laughs> so to start off with I want to find out about the inspiration for uh, your wonderful novel I am also going to butcher this pronunciation. The author Sarah Bohm describes um, your book as somehow both classic and thoroughly contemporary. And I actually think that's a really perfect description. But I would love to know what your thoughts are on her saying that and also what your inspiration was for The Run the Run. So I think she's saying contemporary because there's a young character in it who's in her early 20s and she gets into a bad relationship and she's very online. And she, so there are a number of things that are kind of current in that, mm-hmm. in the culture, I suppose, for young people. That's why she says contemporary. But I've always been a kind of modern writer. But it kind of, the book also hooks way back into the Irish lyrical tradition. I mean, all the way back to old Irish poetry right in there. So, yeah, I suppose that, that so there's Phil, who's a poet and he's dead. And his poems, his poems are in the book. And then his daughter, Carmel, who's a really kind of tough minded, get it, get it, keep it together, keep it going sort of mother, you know. And then her extremely lively and adventurous daughter, Nell, who is not a keep it together sort of person. <laughs> She's a lash at it sort of person. So, yeah, uh, I, I had been reading and thinking about young women and their concerns for sure. Uh, and that was something I was thinking about and writing about a little bit in 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 terms of nonfiction, what might be called the sexual manners of the time, where all that is, how women, young women writers are exploring that, presumably also in their lives as well as in their not the, the necessarily the author's fiction, but it's a kind of trope, isn't it, in in fiction by young women. But for the book really started in lockdown and it started with Carmel and there we were putting one foot in front of the other and just getting on with it. And Carmel had suffered this terrible rupture. Her father had left when their mother was sick, this terrible, terrible thing that, that happened to her in as a child. And so she's very tough minded. Actually, it was kind of, I was getting a bit worried. I kind of stay with the characters for a long time and they tell me what the book is if I stick close to it long enough. So... You know, then she had Nell and then as soon as Nell arrived, I got, oh, here we are. Here is the polarity had been between the lyrical poetry and the kind of reality of the daughter's life. And now here in Nell, we had both of those things going at the same time. So she had a big poetical idea of of how to live her life, mm-hmm. how, you know, she was going to make her own mistakes. She's going to be free. Um, and she is quite poetic. She's quite poetic. I love Nell. I love, I love Nell. But <laughs> <laughs> like, we should get t-shirts made of just. She's very lovable, isn't it? She's very lovable. She's so much so good. I was so glad you love Nell. In terms of the, your writing process, do you do like character work? Do you go straight into just writing the novel and seeing where it leads you? Do you start in chronological order? Do you write scenes here and there? Like, how does it work for you? So 
I don't write chronologically, although I have written, at least I've written so many books now, I've done all, maybe I've done all of those at one stage. <laughs> but I don't um, fundamentally write chronologically, nor do I write from page one to page 288. So those are two different chronologies, aren't they? Yeah. There's the chronology of the yeah. book and the, or not the chronology, there's the line yeah. of the book. Yeah, sorry. So yeah. I don't write on either of those lines, but I do know where I am chron chronologically. So as soon as I know where I am, I put a, I have a timeline and I say, oh, that happened in 1934, which is a long time ago compared to 2004, which is also now a long time ago. <laughs> um, I know where I am in, in, in the character's reality. I have a theory. Right? <laughs> and my theory is that when you're writing something, if you stick with what's on the page, it's going to tell you what it is, that the problem is already there in the voice in the way the sentences are going, in the problem of the character. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just right. Just that out. Out. Stay, not even in the character, stay in the language because yes. the language changes. And certainly my language changes from Nell to Carmel. They're, they're really quite, quite different. Uh, yeah. They're different points of view. They're different kind of, Nell goes in and out of present and past tense. Carmel's total past tense sort of woman. You know, it happened. She's very literal minded. <laughs> so and I'm I, I'm very la language led. And so putting in those poems made sense of that for some of the readers. They go, oh, yeah, here's, it's about also about language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you can see that and you can feel that throughout the whole of the book. And I think that one of the things that you do so well is you were talking about, you know, uh, Nell and, and Carmel and about their them being at very different stages in their lives. Can yeah. you you do this amazing thing of being able to capture um, women at, at so many different stages, these pivotal stages, their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, you know, in their childhood. Right. Somebody was asking me, how can I write a young character? Like, and I thought, well, you know, you never ask someone how they, how they, how they write an old character. Even though they've yeah. never been old. We can yeah. oh yeah, that's easy. You can write an old character anytime. But actually, why not? You know, like I I'm sixty now, so I have a range of ages in me still. I suppose I'm an Absolutely. old person sitting there waiting to come out. <laughs> <laughs> so what so why did you want to um explore the women at, at, at all these different stages? Was it intentionally like I really want to see them at these points or was it more of a kind of the text just took you there? Yeah. Um, well, I'm just trying to think where where I wanted to explore Nell in that relationship uh, with mm. Salem. So I knew where that was going to go. I wasn't going to take her through her school days or anything. And mm. um, that was from her mother's point of view. So I I took Nell at the point where she separated out from, you know, uh, domestically when she went and got a place of her own. And those those early months there. Yeah. Mm. That first year in a place in her own. Kind of crap flat, <laughs> a crap house chair. We've all been in one of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting seeing what's ahead of people now in terms of rents and in terms of where they sit in the gig economy and all of that. So this that kind of informs Nell's thinking. It's hard to take it out of Nell's thinking. And mm. um, so she's polit she's quite political, actually. She's kind of semi political. Um, it's not formed yet, but it's the kind of conversations I uh, hear uh, online and elsewhere mm. from the next, the upcoming generation. So that's in there too. 
how did she get herself into this situation with this guy who does what he wants whenever he wants? Yeah. Um, what was that all about? So she's asking what's that about, which is a very good step. It's a good step. It's not just the reader who's saying, no, don't do it. We're going, going, what am I up to here? Are you on social media yourself? Not really, no. No. I mean, no. <laughs> no. But you, you actually and- captured that so well about like how, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it like, I feel like online life can sometimes like. So I did have a tiny a- little account so I could just see what it was like. <laughs> a <know>? burner account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of. Uh, uh, so just to see what that is. Because so much of uh, social media is about building your reputation as mm. well for people. It's almost like work or it is. Mm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so that's interesting. That's really interesting. But um but I, you know, by the time social media came along, I already sort of had a few books out and I didn't, I was really fortunate I didn't have to do all of that. So, yeah, couldn't have, when it came along, right, I'm that old, couldn't believe that people were supplying all this free content to someone else, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. so true, yeah. I believe it, it's like, but then I, I did some of it and I thought, well, this is nice because you're making stuff and you have it then in a, in a very fleeting sort of way. Mm-hmm. So but it was all consuming. It's, it's, and then it gets really easier, easier life. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You have to be really careful about like, sometimes I see people get into a sort of weird fantasy space and you realize that they're actually, they're really kind of not in talking to you. They're actually online. Yes. Yeah. 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 You have to be really careful about maintaining your presence in reality, which, you know, I One foot on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so strange. Maybe one and a so... half. Maybe two feet on the ground. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> if, no. it's, if it's even possible anymore, you know? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, I really want to ask a question, but you just mentioned, um, is it Phelim? Phelim. Phelim. Okay, very good. My pronunciation is spot on if you haven't already noticed. Um, <laughs> But you just mentioned Phelim and I he's a character that I was really fascinated by and really wanted to talk to you about. Um, because he is somebody that now has this really like powerful draw to, even though he's a bit of an arsehole, to be honest. A massive arsehole. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should have, you know, stayed with the good stuff, however fleeting it was. She's really struck by him. She's really you know those words like smitten. It's like a blow, mm-hmm. and it's so it's sort of, it's sort of it's small and it's sharp. Yes, you know I mean? it's yeah. not like she's. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just it, you know the way Cupid's arrow pierces you. She's pierced by this. Yeah, um, they have what on the first night together they have a conversation, and she thinks it's. She says mostly people don't listen. They're just waiting for their turn to speak. <laughs> we. <laughs> We really did talk to each other, she thinks. And then he's kind of sad about something and she goes, oh, my heart, you know. So he is sad. He's, he's sad about his life. Um, yeah. Sad people aren't always nice. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Maybe that should be said more often. Yeah. Uh, uh, sad people aren't always nice. Anyway, uh, but the thing about having such a very strong narrator and her point of view is that you also get, a, I hope, a sense that Phelan has another life in which this isn't happening. 
So their relationship is also a kind of bad space for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at one stage she sits there and says, what are we doing? And she looks at him like, what? <laughs> what do you think you're for? Was, is this kind of the impulse there? What, what's this? But anyway, yeah, he's physically very handsome, big, uh, you know, tall, nice looking lad. Yeah. So physically, she's very attracted to him. What what do you think? They didn't describe his face much. No, but he, I I feel like she's attracted to um, his bad side as well. You know, I feel like she finds a real ball in that. And I just, you know, what does that say about us? <laughs> well, first of all, and so there's intermittent satisfaction, right? So he, yes. he it, that there's that thing that he doesn't call every Wednesday. He calls whenever suits him. So mm-hmm. she's in a kind of state of when will he call? So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's very adolescent. It's very teenage crush. And she's a bit old for teenage crushes, but there you go. I mean, you say it's very teenage crush, but I was definitely involved with, people like this in my early 20s where I was like why are they not texting me back they never text me back but I would be like so drawn to that I'd really enjoy that whole push-pull dynamic it was like Mm. I don't know like catnip to me or something yeah (laughs) your your phone is also in your hand so the not calling is physically in your grasp the negative is right there sitting in your paw so mm, it's so with you all the time. I mean, it is me being a bit kind of mammyish and saying, put down your phone <laughs> <laughs> in the phone. Just walk away from the phone. Um, as if I could, you know, but <laughs> all of us now, you know, we're, 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 we're in some kind of communication space that's constant and that's open. But so if it doesn't deliver, that's kind of strange now. Mm. I, I, no, I, I found him such a fascinating character, but I've definitely been involved with a couple of him in my time and so um, he talks like a bloke right he talks yes. like, yeah you, you you sorry I shouldn't have interrupted you go no, on go for it go no. for it <laughs> well I'm delighted that I got something recognizable there so absolutely because I've had a few slightly defensive male reactions to Phelan he talks like a bloke he's not giving anything away you don't know what's in his head if you ask him what he's thinking about he says he's thinking about the football and that's like <laughs> uh, I've had several men get insulted at that saying I think about a lot more than the football it's not that, it's what he says he's thinking about. Yeah, yeah. And maybe even to himself what he says he's thinking about. So he has mm-hmm. one sort of dead Twitter account where it's all about the, the scores and the matches. And <laughs> it's like he's not giving anything away. He's got yeah. an interesting family. His brother, I mean, Phelan is kind of interesting because he has a younger brother who's a total psycho and she looks at him and knows that that would be a really, that would be a problem. Okay, mm-hmm. and then he's got another guy, uh, brother, who's just sunny and lovely and cheerful and nice family man. Yeah, so. I actually, I actually want to ask about that family scene because it felt like it was so vivid and like visceral, and it felt like I was almost watching an episode of something in my mind. Like okay. it was very, um, like I could fully imagine that scene in particular being adapted for TV. Like it was so mm-hmm. perfect in the sense of the atmosphere that you created where you're entering this sort of, it was sort of like she's entering like a lion's den of like, it's his family, but she doesn't know how she's going to be received them or how they're going to be with her. And it's she. It's almost like she doesn't really know where she stands with him at all times anyway, but especially in that scene, in that um, like family gathering, you know, the way they all react to her, the way they all interact with her. Did you enjoy writing that scene? Like what, what inspired that particular scene? So I've had no, that really easy. Yeah, I've had yeah. it really easy to write. 
there was they're farmers so i had picked up a farm somewhere um, and i reproduced it so mm -hmm. i mean i was i passed a farm down a laneway in another county not in county Louth, and, and it was like huge i thought oh my god look at that industrial looking barns you know and everything this time little house and then a bigger house that they moved into well then i went on the kind of real estate website to find out what's inside those houses, what kind of furniture is inside those big houses that they built in the 70s and the 80s in Ireland. So there is a play called The Homecoming by Harold Pinter, which is a really kind of gathering sort of suspenseful, nasty play about a, a man who brings, who returns to his family um, with his girlfriend called Gillian. She's called Gillian. Um, and I studied it when I was about 17. It's a really good play. They kind of destroy her anyway the family does um, and it's really kind of and there's a, an absolute monster of a father in it but I, I quite like I like it goes it also ties into kind of Irish place where a woman walks into a, a kitchen or whatever and she's the interloper she's the stranger we know what happens to strangers okay I need to read that play I'm an actor and I can't believe I've not read that oh, play so, so good yeah. yeah I can't believe I've not read it yeah I'm going to go away and buy that immediately <laughs> also vicious it's really amazing yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the other male characters in the novel is Phil and he is the the poet whose poems are kind of interwoven throughout the narrative we touched on it a little bit earlier what was it like to create those poems and um, why did you place them in the book the way that you did? The more books I write, okay, the less I can explain why I do think. <laughs> it's like you write a book and then you get a big explanation afterwards, which is as much of a fiction as the book is, you know. Yeah. You just make it up. Okay, why did I do it? Felt right. <laughs> Felt right. I took them out and I put them back in again and I took them out and I put... And I, I know already there's two kinds of readers. There's always two kinds of readers of everything, aren't there? But there's there's some readers who just flick past and go, oh, a poem. I'm not reading a poem. <laughs> Why would I read a poem now? And then other readers who read the poem and take it as a kind of pause, another kind of pool of meaning, right, in the middle of the book. And they'll say, what, what's in there? What's, you know, what's under, what's under the water? And, and they should be still and they should be lovely. And they should also echo back through the lives of the, the that are being described in the book so that the themes are there too. So I wanted Phil's poems to be recognisable to the characters and also as something that they might understand and feel illuminated by, you know, mm. might mean something to them. And Phil is gone and he leaves these poems behind. So it was a huge challenge because I wrote a book, Actress, about also which had the added charisma of fame or being known or whatever. Um, but I, I had to describe all the movies and the plays that she was in. They weren't real. I had a great, I mean, I had great fun, but you couldn't really, you wouldn't be there seeing them. So you had to say, oh yeah, of course she's famous. And, and that felt a bit made up. So to put the poems in there was to put the writer in there, to put all of it there. So it was really hard. It was really, it was, uh, uh, I like a challenge. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of getting that all that right, and I I knew a lot about Phil. I didn't have any problem with Phil as a character. He's one of those people I know. Sometimes you know it takes me a while to explore a character, but sometimes they just walk in and you just go, oh yeah, you yeah okay, I have you now. Yeah, 
But I really worked on his formation as a poet um, to, to, to think where the poems, how the poems might have been written, where, where did they come from? So I worked on his, I mean, there's a whole lots that I kind of didn't make it into the final draft, but all the books he read as a child, all the, all the, all his, all his influences. So it sounds a lot of, I mean, it was very challenging, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to read as well. Yeah. And I really enjoyed these little breaks and, and reading his poems and stuff. Cause I'm not much of a poetry reader and, um, I wanted to ask, um, are you much of a poetry reader? Well, it's one of those things that I never really brought into my public persona. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't go around talking about them or I wouldn't claim to know anything about poetry. So, I mean, I really felt like an imposter <laughs> when I was writing the writing Phil's poems. And of course I was. Yeah, I would read poetry. You know, now, even in prose, I like books that, that make you stop reading and look up and think. And poems do that anyway. Yeah. You know, so that thing of being hooked in and hooked in and pay, turn the pages or whatever. I like those things that just stir some funny, nice kind of part of your brain, you know. Well, we enjoyed them. <laughs> and you... We are not the type of people that skip. There. No, definitely not. Okay, <laughs> okay, not. good. We definitely read them. <laughs> um, I really want to, I keep saying I really, I want to talk to you about everything and we definitely don't have enough time with you. Um, But I um want to delve into one of my favourite themes, which is female rage, <laughs> which I, I just loved the way that you explored that. And I, I love any kind of story about mother-daughter dynamics so this was a perfect book for me i i found it so interesting looking at we've just been speaking about phil and sort of the impact that that he has the sort of rage that he causes the females in his life and i think the best way that i can describe this book um in terms of the the atmosphere that you create is like there are lots of pans on the hob at all times and some of them are like lightly simmering away and then others it's like the lid's about to blow off. Like that is how I felt with the characters. <laughs> and things got dark in some points in the book. Um, you know, there's a particular moment that I'm thinking of between uh, Carmel and Nell when Nell is a bit younger and she's been throwing oranges at a light and that's all I'm going to kind of say. Were you kind of consciously aware that this was a theme that you were exploring or is this just something that's come out of writing women? Well, I don't know. Um, or women. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a, there's plenty of opportunity to do it when you're writing about men. Yeah. Um, and and, the, and it wouldn't go particularly remarked, I suppose. Mm. Thanks for not spoiling the plot. Some, one of the, one of, one of my critics <laughs> gave it all away. And that oh. is, yeah, I know. No, we're very careful with spoilers. Thank you. So, yeah, now that moment is really difficult. I mean, it's really difficult and very taboo-breaking. So I'm interested in taboos. I mean, I'm also interested in the fact that books are littered with all kinds of disasters and the bodies of thrillers are full of dead bodies. And and we think that that's okay. But if, if you describe a small cruelty or a cruelty between two people who feel a bit real, then you're, then you're somehow... It's t- terrible, and you, and you might be a terrible person. 
Go back to writing dark, you know, the, uh, unbelievable and speculative fiction about the end of the world. That's not that's, that's not dark. That's not dark. But this is regarded as truly dark. And I think I think that's to me, that's a success. But somebody talked about cycles of trauma and abuse. Mm. I think that's too strong a word, actually. Yeah, I think of it more as in terms of spirals. I mean, the spiral is the shape for the book so that each time it comes around, it's a little bit further out. It's a little bit milder. It's a little bit gentler. So mm. or more manageable or nearer to resolution. So it's not quite a cycle. It's not locked in. You're not going spiraling down into something. Nell's life is improving. Carmel's life is giving, you know, is giving Nell a better chance than she had for sure. Uh, so it, things get better from generation to generation, maybe you could say. Mm. Yeah. If yeah. luck holds, you know, as if, if <laughs> your luck holds. So you look at the kind of the violence in the book between people and in Phil, when we get his chapters, we see how intense the violence is in, in, mm. in his childhood. And it's seen as normal. And then there's, in Carmel's life, Phil goes around hitting them all on Saturdays when he sees the reviews in the newspapers because he's a poet. And and that scene has been kind of almost comical and a bit like, you know, the weather. If you get in the way, it's your fault. Yeah. Then there's a kind of thing that plays out between the siblings, between the sisters, between Carmel and her sister. And that's still a bit kind of comical. People mm-hmm. hitting each other is kind of funny. <laughs> In that, in that, in that zone right there. Yeah. When it gets to Carmel and Nell, it is the worst thing you can imagine. Mm-hmm. It is a t- complete betrayal of the love that Carmel has for her daughter. It's just the worst thing. So is that better or, or worse? I would say it's certainly interesting that those two things go in different directions. So mm-hmm. when violence was general or in a, in a family or society where violence is, is general, that is clearly much worse when we think, ah, it's okay, it's all fine. Yeah. Look at those Egypts. <laughs> you know, that that sort of thing is probably much worse. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Piece of questions. Yeah. Piece of questions. I found it really interesting what you said earlier about how with men we don't really remark on the on their rage, even though this similar things can happen. But I just think that female rage is such a specific type of rage like it's it's more accepted socially or societally um for men to be angry but it's not as much for women and I think you know you definitely get a sense of that with Carmel in that like she's lived in this household where Phil has has raged about and hit them over the head with whatever and she's had you know this relationship with her sister she's had her, her mother in bed and she's kind of had all these things that not necessarily suffered but all these things have impacted yeah Yeah, but she's you know all these things have impacted her of course throughout her life and then it's almost like that rage comes to the surface when she has a child and it's almost like her daughter's a reflection of her or and that brings something out of herself but the daughter fixes everything and makes everything and uh, and and the opposite yes Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. exactly that hard isn't it yeah 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 i am um, th- there was a lot of moments that reminded me of growing up with my mom and i was like wow <laughs> what i did okay i drew the veil of charity over nell's teenage years just one or two th- places where she says it was just one long <laughs> they're all shouting at each other. um <laughs> and yeah no i mean these are issues of connection and abandonment to me mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And when yeah. Nell comes out, Carmel looks at her and says and, and thinks that Nell knows just how lonely she's been. So all her life, she's a really strong, you know, psychoanalytical truths, maybe. Mm. Uh, yeah. that, that's what I'm reaching for. Some sense of very primal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a that's a lot of pressure on Nell. You yeah. Know, she's just oh, been... oh, yeah. No, I mean, at one stage, Carmel says, I gave you my whole life. And Nell says, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also funny. You know, you can see yeah. that that's a... So that is also funny. And the book brings Nell home. And it brings Nell home to herself, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is also brings her into a new relationship with Carmel, sort of a much more grown-ups relationship. I think it was probably tough enough uh, you know, at the end, well, I don't want to give away things, but, you know, I mean, yeah, Carmel is hard work, you know. And Nell that... has got plenty going on as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, in the right bang in the middle of the book, Nell wonders why they can't save each other. Two people who love each other absolutely, yes, they do. So these, that's a, that's a, seems like a sad question, but it contains its own answer, you know. Mm-hmm. They love each other absolutely, and so it contains um, well it, it, the inescapability of the difficulty and the solutions of the difficulty at the same time. Absolutely, and I think that that their relationship, um, Carmel and, and Nell's relationship, is so all encompassing, and it's very much like there's a lot of pain in that relationship. And yet so much kind of light as well. And I think that's very indicative of what mothers and daughters go through, you know. Yeah, no, sure. And I think there is a kind of thing that you can say about mother, all mothers and all daughters. But Carmel is 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 two things. She's completely steady and abiding. So Nell knows that she's always got Carmel. Carmel will always have her back. So she mm-hmm. knows that completely. But also she's controlling yeah, and she has, and she lacks insight. I mean, she doesn't. She doesn't necessarily know why she does what she does, because, yeah. and it's possibly because she's so pragmatic. She's just doing it. So the answer is in the fact. You know, she doesn't overthink stuff, or even sometimes think at all. She's just putting things in place. So everyone says to her, "Commonly, have no imagination." And of course, imagination is empathy. It is all kinds of you know good good connecting sort of stuff. We're not always off in our imagination. We imagine the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives us insight. And the, those insights sometimes bring us into a better place and <laughs> make relationships better. But Carmel is just a kind of so solidly herself. Mm-hmm. And that makes it difficult for Nell, who is full of imagination. Absolutely, and I but think that's like, different to other people. Every yes. that it's like when you say mother and you say daughter, and you put those two words together, we're supposed to go, oh, that means that kind of difficulty, and it does on one level. But but every mother is just a person who had a child, right? Mm. So they're all different yeah. people, and every daughter is a person in her own right. She is, mm-hmm. you know. So so there, it, it's not. It's not absolute. Yeah. And you, you were saying that the the book kind of started with Carmel and that, you know, when she had Nell, that was when you kind of saw this path for her and for the narrative. 
Um, what kind of book do you think it would have been without Nell? Oh my god, I would. I wouldn't <laughs> read it. <laughs> yeah, she's. Um, what would it have been like without? Well, Carmel has nowhere to go. You know, she has nowhere <laughs> to go without Nell. Mm. I suppose you can, except to the past. But that's yeah. not to say anything about anything. That's just to say, you know, and I'm not saying anything about people's lives. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about this book. Yeah, yeah. Um, it feels I, don't, like... I don't, I don't, for example, think that people should have children and that children will fix something. I'm just talking about within the compass of this book, within this circumference, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, maybe I could have done it some <laughs> other way. I mean... Maybe, I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> Don't go back and rewrite anything, please. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't at the time see another way, another yeah. path. I think it's, it's so interesting as well because, and I don't know if this is just specific to me or to other people as well, but when I was gr like growing up and as I've like got older, like I, I've only just now when I'm like 28, I've only just now started to see my mom as like a fully formed human being rather than just as my mother. Like that's oh a really God, terrible I thing to that. say. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's just, it's so funny, isn't Stop it? That that, like, <laughs> it's so strange. And um, yeah, I'm glad it doesn't make me a terrible person. Um, but <laughs> And so what's that like then when you say, you say, oh yeah, she, she must have feel this or that. I think it's I think it's easier for me to see it because I've got three younger sisters and so I feel like I've always played a secondary mother figure so I don't know if that's helped me to see her as a fully formed human being as well and I don't know I think I've just got a lot more empathy for <laughs> yeah whereas when yeah, I was yeah. growing up I was like why are you so angry at me all the time and I'm because like I've got oh because everything is so to do. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything is hard <laughs> yeah well so that's think... all kind of incomprehensible uh, but I think in back in the in the in the bad old days you wouldn't that thought wouldn't have even risen to the surface because mm. you know there were no washing machines, for example. Yeah. So you don't have the yeah. manager sitting around thinking, why does she hate me? You're just <laughs> rubbing, you know? Maybe, maybe. Who knows? Possibly. Who knows? Um, I why really... is she cross? You know, that is... I, I, but, I mean, there are worse questions than why is she cross. I mean, why is she sad? That's a really mm -hmm. interesting question for a child to ask about their mother. Yeah, I feel awful. Why is she crying? <laughs> why is she crying? Oh, my no. God. Mm. Um, I, yeah. I definitely didn't think that when I was younger. I was just like, it's all about me. Why is, oh, but why of is course all of it? She's crying because of me. Because, because of me. Of me. She hates yeah. me. She yeah. Must, no, I mean, yeah. Hey, yeah. It was never, you know, there's probably uh, many external factors that are causing this. <laughs> it's always, yeah, but she must be upset because she hates quite me. properly all about themselves. I mean, that's, that's actually, that's age-appropriate response, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really want to speak to you about another woman that is in Carmel's life, which is her sister. And many of the listeners of the podcast will know that I... I like I said before, I'm very drawn I'm very drawn to women altogether, but because I have three sisters, I love reading about other sisterly dynamics. And I thought theirs was a very interesting dynamic. I have no other word. 
and I know that, and I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's Imelda, isn't it? Is that how I say her name? Yeah. yeah. Imelda is sort of the primary carer, can I say that, for for their mother? Yeah, she's the little, um, what we used to call a little mammy. So what you're, what you're describing, a little mammy. So yeah, uh, that's a very old-fashioned phrase. But... I love that phrase. But there's there's almost like this sort of resentment that's built up between the sisters. And because Imelda's taken on that responsibility and Carmel hasn't, and um, sort of what, I, I suppose, grows between them during their mother being ill and what grows after their mother passing... I just wanted to hear you speak a bit more about about their dynamic and why Cicely dynamics are so prone to sort of changing and evolving in such short spaces of time, I guess. Huh. I don't know. Um, are they? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it was just in this. Yeah, no, sibling order is really interesting, isn't it? So yes. um, when 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 the mother is sick. When Terry, the, their lovely mother, is sick at the uh, the beginning of Carmel's section in the book, Imelda is fully adult. She says she's seventeen, but then you see how terrible it is for Imelda. She fails, nearly fails her exams, which she was, you know, she wanted to get into. You know, it really hits her at a hard time and at a time when 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 these things shouldn't be a concern, you know, and. Um, You'd have a lot of sympathy for Imelda there, but it doesn't make her a nice person to necessarily, or maybe not even not a nice person, but it doesn't make the relationship easy, put it that way. Mm-hmm. She has all the responsibility and she turns it into, she she becomes the keeper of the flame, which is a kind of a woman. There is a kind of a woman who does that, who um, who is very, she's quite grand about Phil, about his reputation as a poet, she makes speeches at little do's and gatherings and she, yeah, she's like, I don't know, going back to the, the a, a priestess in a temple, she's the keeper of the flame. She is, she takes that very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not describing her very well, am I? No, you are. Yeah. Okay, well, so yeah. she's kind of reverential and that means that puts her above everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's she's quite snooty as well. At the end, Carmen says she's an unwavering snob. Also, she doesn't trust any anyone anyone who deals with Phil. She thinks mm. their motives are wrong. So she becomes very kind of full of reverence, and maybe she's a bit of a nun, you know. Mm. You know um, no nuns. I'm not seeing a big howl of recognition there. Going, oh yeah, my God, she's just exactly like that nun. I know. No, we don't. We don't. <laughs> no, no. No, I I just I there's a moment where is it at the at the funeral? And I can edit anything out if there's any spoilers at any point. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a moment where it might not have been a funeral. But they're speaking about Phil regardless and the American wife, is it? Yeah. Speaks about him and I, I can't remember the exact words that Imelda says, but I'm sure she's like, oh, the, the nerve of that woman. Like, it's something along those lines. And I think, you know, what you were saying before about, like, Carmel says that she's, like, this one wavering snob. You do get a sense of, like, she's just like, who are these people and what are their motives and why is this woman here? Even though this woman's clearly had some strong involvement with Phil, but she's like, why? Why is she here? I yeah, don't know. Like, <laughs> Imelda owns it, you know? Yeah. She owns it. 
Um, yeah. And that's yeah. her compensation for her tragic loss of her father. She mm. owes him. So but with the way she owns him and his reputation and all the rest of it means that she can't blame him or mourn him. She still is is enthralled to this idea of him as a, an, a you know, a great person. Mm. So she can't just turn around and say, oh, by the way, he left us. You know, that that's their more their their proper kind of anger is robbed that has been robbed by his by the fact by his lovely poems. Yeah. Um and his legacy. And his legacy, <laughs> yeah. But no, Connie, the American wife wants to hand over some archive notebooks uh, that she has. And Imelda immediately she says the narval one. Like she's looking for some trouble. <laughs> It's, it's a, so great. It's such a I, great loved I loved her. I loved her. I loved her. Good. Good. Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like she's just, she, she's kind of like that voice that you want to be when you want to be a bit selfish, when you want to be a bit kind of like, no, I don't want you to be kind. And mm. no, I don't want your help. Like mm-hmm. that kind of, those little naughty thoughts in the back of your head yeah. and you think, oh, I'm going to quash them. I'm going to make sure they don't come out because I'll, I'll be impolite. So I'll be, you know, that's not the right thing to say. Imelda's mm-hmm. just got no filter. She just lets them come out. <laughs> yeah, because because she's doing it from a place of superiority. She would say anything. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely. But there's there's some kind of catharsis in there, I think. A little bit of like, oh, I'm kind Never of glad she said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good, good. And so finally, I'm noticing the time we're getting to the end. That's a kind um, of rage too, though. Snobbery is a kind of rage. Just oh, yeah. Massively. Totally. That's Massively. why you say a raging snob. That's exactly what it yeah, is. It's, exactly. it's anger turned into this kind of glass, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of a, a bit more insidious in a way. Yeah, it gets you, gets you. Yeah. A... it makes yeah. other people angry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so the anger is pushed right out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sneaky. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, that's. I think that's a. It's a very interesting, Imelda's a very interesting character and I think it, our, our listeners will really enjoy delving into her. Absolutely. And uh, seeing that firsthand. <laughs> but finally, before we let you go, because we are running low on time, I would just like to ask you a question merely on my own, off my own back, which is, what does a typical writing day look to you? Do you have like a set routine? Are you like, I have to do this to get the writing done? Or are you just like, I'm here, there's a notebook, let's go. <laughs> no, I work on a laptop. Um, and I don't, um, I don't worry about that. Like I don't go offline or anything. Yeah. I know I'm working if I don't eat until three o'clock. That's how I'm <laughs> It's really funny. Like you're gonna, I'm gonna do it. Get that. Uh, well, I get a, I get the coffee delivered to me. Oh no! Uh, yes, nice cup of coffee. Uh, two cups of coffee, actually, carefully spaced. And I kind of keep going. <laughs> I, I, and I'm kind of going to stop any minute and get my breakfast, and that doesn't happen. So I know that's that's a good working day, and that that's mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm really. Um, my only problem is that I don't know when to stop working. So. And and that's partly because the online thing is there as well. Yeah. Uh, so maybe at four o'clock, I'm starting to pretend to research. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually probably not researching or I'm, I'm catching up on emails or whatever. So it, it, I, my problem is stopping working 
Yeah. That's my lack of discipline right there. People say, are you disciplined? And I, I should say, no, I can't stop working. That's my, my lack of discipline right there. <laughs> Whatever it is, being zone, work is too kind of chunky a word for what I do. I, I love that. I um I think that is a good sign of a working day for me as well if I've not eaten. <laughs> two cups of coffee. So, yeah, two cups of coffee, maybe three, yeah. you know. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my goodness. Um, And this has been so wonderful. It's, it's such a privilege to have gotten to sit down and chat to you. We absolutely don't take this for granted. And, yeah, we're so thrilled that you came on to A Pair of Bookends. I'm going to very sneakily ask if you have any recommendations for us to finish on? For books? Sorry, it can fit anything for books, TV, films, anything that you've been enjoying recently that you want to shout about. God. Uh, no, nothing there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what am I reading now? Oh, that book has been there for two years. Okay, so. Oh my gosh, it's like my bedroom. <laughs> no idea. There's more out in the hall. So, um, I've been had Barb and Harvard. I'm not going to recommend that. Um, yes. um well, <laughs> should I recommend that? Um, yeah, I'm going to recommend that you get yourself some lovely Irish poets. Yeah, lovely. Some slim volumes. <laughs> uh, the greats like Longley and Heaney, uh, but the new voices and uh, the female voices like Jessica Trainer and Jane Clark, Leontra Flynn the North, uh, uh, Sinead Morrissey. I mean, there are amazing, amazing voices out there. Um, uh, Victoria Kinefic is writing well, Liana Sullivan. I mean, there's a whole gang of them. Um, and you know, just dip in because they have all that kind of tradition and they're doing something that's new. I'm definitely going to be ordering some of those. So thank you Absolutely. so much. Love Definitely. that. I need some more poetry in my life. Um, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I also have a recommendation, oh, which okay. is what I have moved straight onto after the run the run, which is Anne's novel Actress, which is absolutely fantastic, and uh, I cannot recommend enough. I'm about halfway through, and it's just it's I can't put it down. Um, so. If you are listening bookends and you've got a copy of The Run the Run and you're reading it along with us, please line up actress for your next one because I've got a feeling that I'm going to be exploring the whole back catalogue now because I'm a bit addicted Sat to this writing. Here somewhere. Oh, is it there? Yeah, I think. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Get to, I will next, get to it next time. Get to it next. Because <laughs> it is it's well, well worth it. It's fantastic. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely. No, Thank you. Um, this has been such a joy. And for our listeners, The Run, The Run, when this episode goes out, is out now. And um, no, it is already out now in hardback. And it's published by Jonathan Cape. So I will pop a link in the show notes for you to order yourselves a copy. And um, I will also pop Lydia's recommendation actress in the show notes as well. <laughs> but Anne, thank you so much. Um, thank you. Yeah. You've been really uh, easy to chat to. Good. Oh, fab. Good. But too insightful at times. Oh. <laughs> but thank you, Anne, and thank you, listeners, for listening. And goodbye. Goodbye.